You're listening to A Date with Data with your host, Amy Bitterman. Hey, it's Amy, and I'm so excited to be hosting A Date with Data. I'll be chatting with state and district special education staff who, just like you, are dealing with IDEA data every day. A Date with Data is brought to you by the IDEA Data Center. On today's episode, we're joined by Linda Castellanos, Program Manager, and Don Kemp, Part B Data Manager, who are both with the Georgia Department of Education. Thank you for being with us. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourselves and your role in the department? Thank you, certainly. I have been at the Department of Education for uh, 11 years now, and I serve as the manager of the Part B data, as well as our online software application for IP and special education paperwork development. Before that, I was an administrator in a system for 10 years and a special education teacher for about 22 years. Thanks. Dawn, do you want to share a little about yourself? I am Dawn Kemp, and I have been with the Department of Education for about a year and a half in this current role of Part B data manager. And prior to that, I had a variety of experiences. I was a special education director for approximately 19 years across three different school districts. I also was a special educator for 12 years. And I also uh, worked in the college and university settings for approximately six or seven years. So that's my background. I wanted to start out with talking about how the pandemic has really impacted your data trends and the results of your data. So can you share a bit about that? We really saw a change in our discipline data, primarily that the reporting of discipline went way down during since COVID hit. Uh, even as people have returned in, in part to physical attendance, our discipline count is still substantially down from pre-COVID days. I think the scariest thing for all of us is we've seen a significant change in achievement, and we recognize that, that achievement is going to take a long time to recover from. We also saw changes in um, environment code, particularly for our pre-K children. I think that there's been a reluctance on the part of parents to send their children to their young children, especially to public schools and or to any sort of daycare or community setting where we have served students in the past. It's important to recognize the impact that graduation and dropout rate, uh, how they have been impacted by the COVID pandemic. I believe that we definitely saw an inflation in graduation rates and we saw a uh, decrease in the dropout rate. Both of those trends are trends that you would want to see in your data. Unfortunately, probably was impacted in a manner that you're not going to be able to replicate or be able to draw conclusions with long term. It will be interesting to see the way that data for graduation and dropout is trends in the years past COVID. In other words, do you see a dramatic drop in your uh, graduation and or is it more of a leveling out to post-pandemic levels? We also have had concerns about our indicator 11 and 12 data. The, the data itself doesn't look substantially different, but what we have seen is a, a significant increase in the exceptions so that a lot of districts are reporting for many students that they completed evaluations late, but it was because the parent delayed giving consent or once the parent gave consent, they were uh, not willing to bring the child to school or to have anyone into the home. 
and perhaps felt that uh, and a, a virtual evaluation would not be an appropriate way of assessing their child. So we've, we've seen um, a whole lot of exceptions being reported over the past couple of years. And then I would also say dispute resolution, that different things are coming up in complaints that districts never planned for or thought about how they would respond to, and that there's been some uncertainty on the part of the district level as to how they should respond that's resulted in, I think, an increase in um, in disputes. You talked a little bit about some of these having longer term impacts on your data. Are there other areas where you think there might be impacts going you know, further into the future? And what are your thoughts on how to kind of handle and address some of those? I think that the biggest concern long term is really going to be the achievement. The rest of them, I think, will resolve themselves as the impact of COVID, you know, at the present time, lessons, please God, let that happen. <laughs> if it clears up some and more people are able to return to school physically, I think a lot of this will clear itself up. But I think achievement is going to take a long time, a long time to clean up. And we've done a lot of things to try to address achievement uh, and, and really are addressing, I think, in a lot of ways. One thing we've done is just to increase access to the internet, particularly in rural areas around the state. We have grants available and we're providing more training about use of assistive technology, uh, both in the school and at home, that students should also be able to have those assistive devices at home if that's what's needed for them educationally. We've had a lot more professional development for teachers about how to do virtual instruction, um, about specially designed instruction, which is important in all times, but in these times becomes even more important. We have some multi-sensory reading approaches that we're training on. We're training about some specific uh, dyslexia, uh, requirements, professional learning, some rules about um, dyslexia that are new in the state of Georgia. The leadership in Georgia is clearly geared toward what impacts the individual student and family and having compassion for family, for educators, for uh, associated staff during this uh, pandemic time. And toward that end, uh, the governor in Georgia and the legislature have done a lot to provide uh, some supports relative to, as she stated, uh, internet access. There's also been real emphasis recently with uh, additional funding for uh, teachers and monies and also the retention of educators. That's a tremendous problem. Of course, nationally, uh, as well as in the state, and we actively have a teacher retention project that is moving forward, a teacher retention grant, a lot of emphasis in that area. Also have to indicate within the Division of Special Education Services, uh, the current director has done a masterful job in, as Linda indicated, having initiatives that are geared toward directly impacting students, such as the reading, the multi-sensory reading approaches, the, uh, the supports to LEA leaders that are impactful. Uh, one of the more exciting ones, I think, is the uh, Building Leadership Academy that has developed to try to work with administrators at the building level. Those first line administrators, like your principals, your assistant principals, that encounter that parent when they are in distress and understanding how to better 
uh, work with parents. And to that end, they have uh, uh, have an avatar type situation where they can actually work through problematic scenarios and determine how that would work out because as we all know you don't get a redo in real life but with the avatar you can get a redo you can see some different uh, depictions so i really want to indicate that those that the emphasis is very much on what's impactful for the frontline educator and for students all students but particularly emphasizing students with disabilities the teacher shortage has been a problem for years in Georgia and just seems to have increased since COVID. So the importance of addressing it has, you know, really been elevated. And interestingly, just this week, an announcement was made that during the 2021 legislative session, the Georgia General Assembly passed House Bill 32 to establish uh, an income tax credit for teachers of high need areas who agree to teach in rural districts or low performing schools. And those eligible teachers will receive a $3,000 tax credit for five consecutive school years. So uh, that's, I think that's exciting. And I hope that, that will serve as, uh, as a draw to, to special education teachers. Around the state, uh, the three areas most impacted by teacher shortages are probably the same as in many areas, math, science, and special education. So we're hopeful that that will bring us some new folks. Wow, fantastic. It sounds like you have put a lot of thought and planning into what you can do down the road and, and now that will really try to meet some of these challenges head on that, that you all have encountered and know have a much longer term impact. How has the pandemic impacted the quality of your IDEA data and how have you addressed those challenges? Interestingly, our data quality has not been adversely impacted in the pandemic. We've been able to continue to uh, obtain very high quality data, which I think is a very strong byproduct of the highly elaborate and well-developed data collection systems that Georgia has. Uh, one thing I would also add, though, one of the reasons that we probably did not have the data impacts or the data quality impacts or a lot of the initiatives that we've already spoken about that were proactive toward reaching out to LEAs and to parents during the pandemic. And Linda, would you like to add some to that? I would say that in the first year when COVID hit, we were very fortunate because the first uh, Thursday in March is our count day for a lot of our reporting purposes. And that day was in the past by the time COVID hit and we had to close on, on March the 13th. So that year we were fortunate that although the data submission was not yet completed, the data process collection had already begun and you were to report what happened on that date. So that was lucky for us. And in addition, I think that we've historically provided a very high level of training about data reporting. And we're continuing to do that, have actually you know, changed how we do a lot of the training so that it's been virtual in, in the past two years. But we try to be on top of questions that come in. If a question comes in from a district, we kind of think, hmm, that might be a question that other districts might need to know about also. And we'll share that out when we think it's appropriate so that we're trying to be you know, preventative and, and giving people good guidance before the data is due to, for final submission to improve the accuracy of it. And, and that there's work across, like we work with the data collections department and technology services because much of the data that we collect is part of a larger data collection process. And, uh, you know, with other units also with the assessment units. So we 
I think that the collaboration among the various divisions at Georgia Department of Ed has helped maintain the quality of the data. Not that we're necessarily happy with the data that's accurate or that, that we think is as accurate as we can expect it to be. But, you know, I feel like the, I feel like we have, you know, accurate data. So I, I wouldn't say that there's a quality impact, but certainly the data itself has been very adversely affected in a lot of areas. So now, can you share a few bright spots with us? If there are success stories, things that you're really proud of or want to highlight? Early in the days, especially of COVID, it was really heartwarming to see some of the stories that we would, you know, hear about from time to time. For example, things like bus drivers delivering food for breakfast and for lunch for children and for their families, or uh, buses that would park somewhere with a hotspot on their bus so that rural families could access internet through that. We also had stories about teachers visiting their students who missed seeing their, their teachers at school, and they would visit through the doorways or through the windows, I mean, just trying to, to establish that, that personal relationship still, especially at the start of the school year. So I really think that you saw the heart of people who have kind of committed their lives to working with children and with educating children, not just teachers, but other school staff, the lunchroom staff, the bus drivers, the parapros, so, so many people in so many ways that tried hard to stay connected with our families and with our children. I have to say, when the pandemic began, I was in a district as a special ed director and viewing it from the outside, the response from the Department of Education, I mean, it was immediate. It was highly proactive and particularly in special ed providing guidance about how can we meet the needs of students during this time. Here are some suggestions. Here are some platforms that you can use. I just really felt very, very supportive. And I think that, as Linda articulated, was just a very bright spot that we had a system that was very centered on students, teachers, and frontline. I, I really do feel that was very important. We also have developed a tremendous amount of capacity in the use of virtual platforms. How do you use them to meet? How do you use them in, in instruction? What are some ways to maximize that? That I believe we never would have utilized or thought of in the past. It was very much a byproduct of the pandemic because when you're forced to conduct business with LEAs and our responses and teachers are in a situation where they have to communicate with students via technology, you have to maximize that and as Linda had indicated in discussion yesterday with me, there were there are also implications as we move forward out of the pandemic time. You know, learning to use virtual instruction or virtual meetings was always on on a to-do list as as I manage the IP online software application. We've talked a good bit about we should do more of that rather than it being an in-person delivery all the time. That way the training is there. If a person joins your staff after we've done the training, they still have access to the training. That There are a lot of benefits to that, but COVID certainly brought that to the top of the list of things that needed to be done. And we've put out a lot that have been recorded meetings or you know, learning modules in, in different applications. And I think that all that's really good. I do think people miss in-person and that we need to try to return to some in-person where we're able to. But also I think that there's lessons learned. I've said many times that society has paid a huge price for COVID. 
and, and what we've learned from it will never be worth the price we paid. But we still need to look for the lessons learned and, and the bright spots in there. So I think that one thing we've learned as we've proved our, our ability to use virtual is all the different ways that virtual can be used. So for example, our hospital homebound children that used to receive minimal amounts of service often are receiving more services than ever through use of virtual instruction. Or a student who has been suspended from school can still participate in virtual instruction. If you have snow or bad weather or anything like that and school had to close unexpectedly. In the past, that was just a day off from school. Now we can do those virtually. So I think there's ways that we can use that now that we've learned it that will be wonderful for us moving forward. Are there other changes that have happened in terms of your data culture? Certainly, I believe that when you have to communicate virtually as opposed to in person, you do have a lot more cohesiveness to the information you're presenting because it is preserved. You definitely, we definitely have moved a lot of our technical assistance and our professional learning to a virtual type media because as as we're all aware rates of infection have vacillated up and down you have different regions of the state the density of the population as linda elaborated earlier now when we conduct training or we provide informational modules they are preserved and individuals who who might not have been able to participate initially are able to revisit that and that's very very helpful we also have gotten an opportunity to include more participants in our trainings where an LEA might have difficulty sending uh, 20 or 30 people to a data training. They would certainly have no difficulty with 30 people logging on in their LEA. And so you have a diverse population of individuals participating in the training. So I think that's changed a lot, though, in terms of who we interact with, as Don shared, like the a lot of the materials that we put together for the state advisory panel related, for example, to the SVP APR are all publicly posted now that they're posted. Anybody that can that wants to can look in. So we've been able to maybe increase our parent involvement in those kind of things, giving them the same information that other uh, advisory panel members are receiving. So I think that there's benefits to it, but there, there are downsides also to everything being virtual. We have collaborative communities is what we call them. It's where LEAs meet regionally and we send representatives from DOE to those meetings. It's a, an assigned district liaison from DOE to each of those regions. And those have begun returning to more of a in-person kind of thing, although exceptions are often made as needed for you know people who have health concerns in, in their immediate families are not able to. So even when they're in-person meetings, there's often a virtual opportunity in addition to that. Thank you so much. Was there anything else you want to share with other states and districts? The other thing I can think of just to add as an additional factor is that over time, what we've learned is the importance of collaboration. So we've really, I think, increased our collaboration over the past several years. There may have been some COVID impact on that. It may just be as Dar and I learn more about doing these jobs that we've really worked towards increasing collaboration with assessment folks, with accountability folks, with other people within special education, with our technology people who help us with data collections or help build our applications. So collaboration is, is what it's all about. To access podcast resources, submit questions related to today's episode, or if you have ideas for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. The links are in the episode content, 
or connect with us via the podcast page on the IDC website at ideadata.org. <laughs>